Welcome to the world of unsexy. From scrap metal to timber, estate planning to freight pooling, this show is a meandering exploration of just how sexy unsexy industries can be. I'm your host, Elaine Zelby, investor at SignalFire and eternally curious human being. In this podcast, we'll peel back the layers of niche and esoteric markets, understanding the history and looking at the future through the eyes of the pioneering entrepreneurs willing to bring technology and exponential improvements to these often overlooked spaces. Join me on a fascinating journey into the unsexy. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Timothy Henry, the co-founder and CEO of Hall, a platform that allows truck drivers to find flexible CDL jobs without owning their own truck. They're rethinking the employment model for the 3.5 million commercial truck drivers across the U.S. Thanks so much for joining us today, Timothy. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, I figured we could kick it off with your background and how you got into the trucking and logistics space in the first place. (laughs) Not the first thing you think of when you think of young tech professional. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And the reason I laugh is because I think any professional, both young, mid-career or older in their career, always says, I never thought I'll be in trucking. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a common question even asked within the trucking industry. But yeah, a, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm originally a Midwesterner from Chicago. Uh, yeah, go, go, go Cubs. Um, and I found myself working pretty right out of college, working at a company called within a, a venture firm office incubator called Lightbank. Um, it was, uh, you know, unpaid internship. I was working for one of their portfolio companies that was, um, is, is disrupt a good word these days, but they were disrupting the cater, uh, the catering, traditional catering business. And it pretty much was me lugging food around a lot of offices. Um, but down the hall was a company called Echo Global Logistics. And um, and maybe for some of the listeners who don't know, you know, Chicago historically is a big hub for transportation, logistics, historically because of our history of the railroad, but and then which perforated during the deregulation of trucking. And then which kind of the modern version of that is um, not only with all these asset transportation companies, but also the freight brokerage. And there are some major brands like Echo Global Logistics, Coyote, C.H. Robinson has one of their largest offices in Chicago. And then uh, there's all of these offshoots that have come from um, what people would refer to as their original freight brokerage, which is uh, American backhaulers. So long story short, uh, I was always curious of what this company did, Echo, and I had some friends out of college who, was, who were working at um, Coyote and I just knew that they were they were buying the drinks at the bars when I couldn't. And so I was I was always interested. It's like, oh, man, that's interesting. Freight brokerage. And um, lo and behold, um, when I was um, essentially homeless, living on a buddy's couch, I was really looking for a way to kind of pay rent. And uh, I had a friend who reached out to me who said, hey, Tim, I know you're at Lightbank. I'm just curious if you're looking for something new. And me on the other end said, yes. Um, but, uh, I pretty, uh, she said, Hey, my, my boss is looking to start, um, a software company in the logistics space. Um, would you be interested in that? You know, I obviously said yes to the interview and that company was a company called logistical labs. And that was my first foray into, um, the logistics and transportation space. And what logistical labs was, was an early BI 
tool for pricing for asset and non-asset logistics companies. So, you know, that's how I cut my teeth. Um, and then through various uh, um, conversations, uh, acquisitions, I found myself at some, you know, I think some of the largest brands now we uh, we have people track in the logistics and transportation space. But, you know, that's how it started as a, as a, a fundamental need to pay rent. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, need is the mother of all, all invention, right? Yeah, totally. Well, you know, for most people who are not deep in logistics, the space is a little bit of an opaque black box. Can you walk the listeners through all the major players? And ultimately, when goods come to, let's say, a port or a warehouse, how does that actually get to me or to my door? What What is happening in all that? Yeah, that's, that's like a really good question. And this is a really cool time to actually even think through that because, I think many people don't realize some of the brands they find on, you know, you know, direct to consumer brands or in my opinion, logistics companies, you know, that that item you may see on that Instagram ad has to get to your house somewhere and, and how people are finding goods, how they're procuring goods and how they're getting receiving those goods have been, has been drastically changed within the last, not only last five years, but dramatically, uh, not in the last 10 years, but dramatically in the last five years, in my opinion. So if we kind of lay out what uh, what we consider the supply chain, and, and this is my interpretation, granted, I am not an academic, but this is how I kind of segment the, the this overarching uh, space where we have, you know, air and ocean, you know, these are, these are people who either operate planes or operate ships that move cargo, um, just think of goods. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the brands that we may have used to fly to visit family across the country actually move cargo underneath. But there are some actually very focused logistics and transportation um, airlines that just move kind of air freight. And these typically are kind of expedited goods. These are think of a lot of um, you know we're living in the world of of COVID, and I think a lot of people are thinking about the pharmaceutical supply chain more and more as it relates to vaccines. A lot of air freight um, is actually being uh, capacity on those planes is being bought out by um, a lot of manufacturers who are trying to exploit not only the delivery but maybe get the raw goods to make the chem- you know the vaccine that we ultimately we all would want to have access to later this year. Um, ocean, you know, these are large kind of container ships that um, that if we just Google ocean liner, you would see like Maersk, you know, Maersk is one of the um, oldest kind of ocean um, uh, container ship operators in the world. Some of the largest, one of the largest trade lanes is actually between China, um, you know, other Asian countries in the U.S. to specifically kind of port of L.A. So that's air ocean. Once that container gets to the to the port, it needs to go somewhere. And there's this very specific type of trucking company that um, colloquially are called drayage carriers that move containers from the port to two places. Histor- uh, typically, either the rail yard because a container will go to the rail yard, get on one of uh, get on the train, and maybe go to Chicago, or they actually move to a. Uh, uh, a distribution center or a warehouse within a, a mile band radius around um, around that port for future movement, typically on on a truck. And then uh, and then typically how I segment this is usually there's a warehouse distribution. Some of them are you know distribution centers typically are are um, are actually have finished goods that are moving to uh, a place when the order's placed. But warehouse typically stores you know this is there's a lot of opaque and definitions on that front. Um, and then there's trucking companies that specialize in the movement of a good. 
um, that typically can go to, and then we'll just put, you know, maybe uh, we'll put a brand name to this. We'll put uh, like PepsiCo, I think, or Coca-Cola, you know, I'm not picking sides. Um, but, you know, a lot of, you know, that's a brand we know and we know how to consume that brand. But, you know, if I'm Coca-Cola, I may have some raw goods coming from, you know, whether it's plastic for my bottles, that raw good hits the port, the drayage carrier moves it to a distribution center, and then uh, maybe a full truckload carrier moves that maybe that pellet of uh, all those pellets are going to make a bottle to maybe uh, a bottle manufacturer in maybe 500 miles away from the port. Once the bottle is made, then they're going to use another full truckload carrier, and then we'll just add brand names. Let's say U.S. Express or Warner, J.B. Hunt. These are all historical over-the-road carriers that move long haul, meaning like typically just over five, you know, and this is even real time getting redefined because long haul was typically over a thousand miles. And now the definition is changing because of of fundamental needs that Hall is working on. But anyway, you know, you move the raw goods, manufacture a bottle, and then Coca-Cola needs to get those bottles, those to, to one of their, you know, plants to fill them with their secret sauce um, finished a product. And then Coca-Cola has customers. Walmart is one of their customers. Target's one of the customers. And so that finished product will stay in a distribution center uh, for Coca-Cola. And then they would, um, let's say Target places an order for a truckload of, of Coca-Cola to go to a location uh, in another state. They would use typically their own trucks, um, their private fleet to move that finished good to their customer so I think if, if you haven't noticed, there are different specialty of trucking companies and there's different types of trucking companies out there that specialize in different segments of the supply chain. But I, you know, and then we didn't talk about parcel, but I'll stop there. Um, but that is how I kind of segment the movement of goods and how I kind of look at the supply chain. But uh, honestly, it is shifting dramatically. And now we have these things called dark warehouses we you know we have these um uber and lyft and even a lot of these passenger um kind of rideshare companies going into the parcel delivery business going after brands that we know when we receive a good like fedex and ups or dhl um or usps so a lot of things are shifting but um you know we'll, we'll keep uh we'll keep the last mile of this conversation yeah, it is quite the complex industry with many players, lots of hands changing uh, yeah. of each good. Uh, you know, one of the other things that I was interested to pick your brain on is you also helped launch Uber Freight. And so <laughs> you got a firsthand look at what yeah. you were talking about at the end. What were some of the learnings from that and your experience before in the logistics space that kind of led yeah. you to see some holes and to start Hall? Yeah, no, that's no, thanks. Yeah, I think. You know, it's it's all evolution. I think you only learn from, you know, you only learn from kind of work you've done and people you see from afar. But you know, touching on Uber Freight, you know, I came via uh, the acquisition uh, of a company called Auto, which was working on um, a kind of aftermarket ADA system for semis. You know, essentially helping them be a more efficient, more you know, people don't know this. You know, there's this whole rush to. Uh, um, automate the, the the truck but man those trucks are pretty automated already with a lot of this uh, sophisticated systems in place but you know i came to i came to uber via an acquisition and i found myself um early member of the uber freight team and uber freight just for context is going after a pretty mature um, freight brokerage market here in the united states canada most recently europe uh you know there's some brands they're going after um, are big brokerage houses that 
um, that I, you know, I've been watching over the years, like Coyote, CH Robinson, Echo Global Logistics, actually, I mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, what, what a brokerage is, is at, at the end of the day, um, they market latent capacity within trucks. And so what does that mean? At the end of the day, um, what they provide for a shipper, let's say uh, Unilever, uh, they provide um, uh, one-to-many interaction with tons of trucking companies. So Unilever has, you know, what uh, they have a, a, a list of trucking companies that own, you know, trucking companies that own trucks that they keep. Um, essentially, you can call it on retainer to move their freight. Um, you know, things Schneider, UPS, JB Hunt, and but there's majority of all trucking companies are, are long tail, meaning they're, they're smaller fleets on average, 90% of all trucks are around uh, 9% of all fleets are around 20 trucks or less. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of fleets to kind of manage. And so his, how the freight brokerage has evolved over the years is that if I'm Unilever, okay, I'll have these 10 tr- um, trucking companies manage maybe the majority of my freight around my long haul freight, but I'm going to have some I'm going to have some freight brokers in my network who can provide me access to this long tail capacity. They specialize in in managing those relationships, making sure those trucking companies, those five power unit trucking companies are compliant. Um, and and so when I give them a load, they're essentially an abstraction. So that that is a little bit of like what a freight brokerage is. They they are they're really a network of of these smaller carriers historically that um, that typically don't have access to these larger shipper freight because they just, like I said, it, it's, it doesn't make sense for a large shipper to kind of onboard a power a trucking company of five power units, but via a broker, they have access to that freight. And on the other end, you know, from a shipper perspective, they provide them a long tail. But anyway, you know, histor- historically, this model has been very, uh, very manual. A lot of... Um, Think of a, a, you know, and I mentioned a company called American Backhaulers earlier in this conversation is because this was a, um, this was started by the former, um, the, the founder of Coyote Logistics that was exited to UPS and and then the, uh, um, uh, the founder of Command Transportation that was exited to Echo Global Logistics, both uh but American backhaulers took on started right at the at the uh, start of deregulation of trucking, and this is a that's a whole nother history of. But historically, trucking lanes had a fixed price, and you couldn't you just had a you know if a trucking company only can price their lane for this price, there was no supply and demand. Like you know if there was like ten loads to one truck, a trucking company only had to pick the load and charge their rate. But with the deregulation of trucking that a trucking company was a willing was able to dictate their price they're like oh this lane is really hot right now i'm going to set my price and this kind of market dynamics lend itself to a, almost a commodities trading environment so historically chicago was known for the commodities uh you know commodities trading that same culture found itself in the in the essentially the brokering of of of, of, of loads between trucks and it created, you know, what, uh, I won't say boiler room because I, I think that has negative connotations, but uh, essentially, you know, large offices with young, hungry, you know, big 10 talent who, who want to make a commission. Um, and you know, th- some of the largest brokerage brokerages form would Uber freight getting back to kind of what we started. We saw that, with the advent of uh, just new technologies, we can essentially provide the same service to shippers, both large and small. 
helping them find latent capacity in trucks, but leveraging a lot more technology. You know, and a lot of there's a misnomer that some of the large brokerage houses aren't technology companies. They have a great, great amount of investment in their technology. And I think um, they're just going through some change management. You know, less is more. I think uh, anytime you have tons of labor injected in a transaction, you, you always think to yourself, can I remove one person and kind of do more with less? That's just a natural progression, in my opinion. But what we built at Uber Freight was really kind of coming. It's, you know, we saw American backhaulers was Gen 1. Coyote was Gen 2 of the freight brokerage. Uber Freight, Convoy, Load Smart, Transfix. These are all new generations of, of the, the traditional brokerage. And what we deployed there was very simple. You know, a mobile app that we can give to the long tail of truck, uh, trucking firms to procure freight on our on our on our private platform that's you know this is not open to anyone and give shippers the ability to easily you know clear out you know you know we, we you know when we're starting this the, the frame is liquidity it's like being able to have enough li- li- capacity in the network where a shipper can easily post a load to uber freight and have it have a truck com- company say yes i'm willing to move that elizabeth new jersey to to chicago load for a thousand dollars you know and um, what are some interesting findings? <laughs> you know, I think um, I think as it relates to freight brokerage, um, yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> what are some interesting findings? I think one of the things we didn't realize, because I think in what many of the large freight brokerages who are coming out with a carrier-facing app is they said, you know, in their in their head, and we thought this too. Oh, we're going to deploy our app and all these owner operators and be the largest you know virtual carrier out there and what what we soon realized that the owner operator and for context the owner operator um is really the the one one driver one owner one truck type of firm that can select what freight they want to move when they want to move it there's not many of them out there that have their own authority and what, what do i mean by this is that you know if you look at just the numbers we calculate there's about 350,000 owner operators in the market. And if you capture even like, you know, less than half, maybe 25%, you would be one of the largest trucking companies out there. But we realize a lot of those owner operators were leased on, meaning they, they actually forgone their, their authority, meaning, hey, I don't, I don't want to be my own. I don't want to be my own b- boss, quote unquote. I want to lease on to one of the larger firms like Schneider, Werner, and actually just tell have them tell me what loads to pick and they manage all my back office so we we underestimated that that there's all this latent capacity you know these owner operators who we can just loop on it's like and and i think we weren't alone many of these freight brokerages that came to market in the last five years realized okay they're all leased on that is going to be a hard sell to pull them away from one of these large fleets let's focus on let's start building our platform more for those smaller fleet um, who actually, you know, maybe the, the the fleet of five drivers. So I would say that's one of the biggest ones we saw and it really changed the product. And I think we weren't alone on that, you know, and I think we, I think that's still a big strategy for a lot of these freight brokerage houses is try to decouple the owner operator from the fleet. But I think that's a big challenge. And there's some other companies now like Cloud Trucks, True North um, and others trying to, and Smart Hop trying to go after the same cohort of drivers through other tactics and you know i my my kudos to them because i I think it's uh it's a it's an endeavor worth pursuing 
Well, let's like shift gears a little bit and now talk about the actual drivers themselves. And that's really where you're focusing on with Hall. So, you know, it's interesting to me that the drivers would not want to own their own truck. Because to me, that feels like a core part of the job and gives you more autonomy and freedom by doing that. So explain to me a little bit of, you know, what is driving uh, a driver? And if you can also define what CDL is just for the listeners, why would a driver not want to own their own truck and essentially be an independent agent getting matched with somebody else's? Yeah. You know, and so CDL is is the commercial license, you know, commercial driver's license. And there's different versions, CDLA, CDLB. We actually all have C in our own. If you look at, if you drive a commercial vehicle, um, I mean, if you just drive your own vehicle, we actually can rent a box truck from Penske or Ryder today or U-Haul. You know, I think you may see those on the road. So a lot of people don't know you can move freight today if you wanted to uh, just, (laughs) you know, a plug for the industry. Um, But yeah, you know, that's a good question. And so why wouldn't a driver? So, and this is going to be very, you know, we may get some comments after the statement. I totally think that um, the industry has created a false notion that it is profitable to be an owner operator. We, and, wh- and why do I say that is because the industry will always pump this narrative of be your own boss, be your own driver, um, and I think that is a that is a livelihood worth pursuing. So it is a very compelling narrative to chase. And you'll see this in any any um, trucking fleet who is pursuing. Um, how should I say this? You would hear this in any conference you go to, like any uh, GATS or MATS driver focused conference. It's the same narrative: be your own boss. But in reality, people don't talk about how high the churn is amongst this cohort. So remember how I mentioned how brokers essentially act as a one-to-many, part, you know, integrator for fleet from for small fleets and 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 shippers. The reason why they need that is because this cohort of drivers typically churn within a couple years in industry. And this is the this is the thing that the industry doesn't say is like, hey, be your own boss. But let me tell you, you probably won't be around in a year or two because it's hot. It's so tough. You know, it's tough to run any small business. But it's hard enough to be a driver, run your own books, uh, and and just try to make ends meet. And and that's and that's on top of just making sure you get profitable freight, meaning you find a load that you can actually make a margin on. And most most owner operators, and this is not all of them, because there are there are you know, and this is the one thing I will make sure is that there are fundamental operators who run a tight business. But what we saw what during our time with Uber Freight is is that for a marginal increase of pay. Um, you know, you can, and whether, whether it's per day, per week, per year, the matter for a marginal increase of pay, the, the liability you take on was enormous. And a lot of those liabilities were fundamentally outside of the driver's control. So what happened, so what happened earlier this, um, earlier in 2020, uh, what I think kind of exemplifies this, we had essentially freight stopped when COVID hit in March everything stopped, you know, and, you know, and, um, for good reason, because people didn't, people stopped buying, people stopped traveling. Like there just wasn't anything really moving. March, April, May, June was probably the four, probably the toughest months of, of, of trucking. And, you know, there was like close to maybe a hundred thousand jobs lost in that year, both, um, trucking related jobs and driver jobs. So that just exemplifies like how you can be a great businessman or woman, run a tight business, but fundamentally, a lot of it's still out of your control. If there's no freight out there in the market, you really can't, you know, you can't keep your truck moving and then generate revenue. So, so what, and and kind of tying back to kind of 
why we started Hall, um, you know, we first saw, you know, I first saw firsthand of how how risky it was to be owner operator. And then I saw the alternatives owner operators were taking to hedge, hedge themselves. And one of them is leasing on to these larger carriers. And I think there is something to be said of why the, there, there does, it automates a lot of the, the hard work, finding your freight, running your back office, making sure you get paid. It provides working capital, provide, it just automates a lot of the back office. Um, but what a lot of people don't say, it's that, you know, uh, trucking has always been, and this is a very big topic in trucking of the 1099 leased on owner operator versus the direct hire. Some of the largest trucking companies leverage their P&L having a 1099 model <laughs> and, and, and essentially not providing, I think, some of the benefits that those drivers deserve. And, and this is not just Tim thinking of this. This is like every month, several times a year, you see some large cl class action lawsuits in trucking around employment misclassification. Um, you know, just Google, uh, uh, yeah, just Google a few trucking employment misclassification. You'll find several articles talking about it and it's a pervasive problem in trucking. And, um, so that, that is a little, you know, so even the 1099 owner operator, in my opinion, has a lot of drama around it. And, and so for, for, for my co-founder Tawan and I, we said, okay, how do we like provide that same type of flexible work? It, Flexible work in the sense of we allow you to dictate what assignments you, how do we like give you the same novelty of like selecting your work without having all the liabilities. And that's really kind of one of the, one of the kind of motivators around Hall. And on top of that, you know, and the, and the one thing I haven't mentioned to your audience is that trucking, you know, it's a, we want to, you know, it's $800 billion industry here in the United States alone, it's humongous. Um, the two leading issues for every trucking executive, whether you run a private fleet, meaning like you're, you run the private fleet for Frito-Lay or you're a 3PL like a Penske or Ryder or you're a for hire carrier like a Schneider. It doesn't matter what type of trucking company you are. The two leading issues for every trucking executive is driver churn and the increasing shortage. So with that black, um, backdrop and the one unique insight we had at Uber Freight, and I think we're not alone in this, is that one of the largest cohorts of app downloads when we launched Uber Freight came from CDL holders in the rides business and the, and, and the eats business, which mm, was interesting. very interesting because in a world where there's not enough drivers, like Tawan and I found them. We we're like, oh, they're, they're, they're in the gig economy, but, um, but they're not utilizing uh, the credential that they have essentially spent four weeks unpaid up to $6,000 getting and not utilizing it to increase their hourly wage. So that is kind of those two things we saw is like how to create a novel experience similar to the owner operator and this, this um, almost gigification of trucking, how can Hall play in that sandbox? And that's, that's where we are today is, you know, how do we take, you know, bring back some of those drivers who went to the gig economy, maybe over index on flexibility, but decrease their earning potential. How, how can we bring that pendulum back? And that, and that's kind of what we're building here at Hall. Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm seeing that happen across so many different industries. And so you're capturing the subset, which is the, you know, many, many, many trillion dollar trucking industry. And the fact that everyone now wants to take control over their own lives, live more independently, you know, be their own 
you know, we have the creator economy, we have yeah, the freelancer yeah, yeah. economy, we have the independent trucker economy. So mm-hmm. I'm personally very excited to continue to watch what you guys do at Hall. You know, unfortunately, we're running up on time, but where can the listeners learn more about you and Hall? Yeah, I know. Thanks for thanks for giving me an opportunity today and to, to chat with your audience and um, and try to make uh, this unsexy industry we call trucking a little bit more uh, attractive to your listeners and the general public. Um, you know, me, Tim Henry, you can find me, you know, three first names, Timothy James Henry, find me on LinkedIn. Um, or you can find our website, hallwith.us um, is our URL. Um, and yeah, I think we're, you know, we, we were excited that, you know, we just a little history. We launched this in, in March of last year, or right in the middle of COVID. And uh, we've been able to have some great strides. And so we're really excited what 2020 means for us. Um, and excited to maybe come back again and, and share a little bit about our progress to date with your with your audience in a future date. Well, we'd love to hear all the updates in the future. Thanks so much, Tim, for coming on. And this was a really fascinating look behind the scenes of the trucking space. Thanks. I appreciate it.